That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Welcome to another episode of Noises from Jake's Office and Bible Commentary, and uh, so occasionally it's been somewhat spicy social commentary, but first, you doing okay, Jake? I am. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm doing well. I'm trying not to move at all so my chair doesn't squeak. We're going to see if this is the episode. (laughs) And how are you, Aaron? I'm doing great. Uh, As you know, there was a, we were talking before, there was a school shooting hoax in Waco yesterday where uh, for a second there I thought that my kids were in an active shooter situation and it's one of the most terrifying situations of my life. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of still feeling a little bit shell-shocked from that can't imagine i mean there's really thousands of parents in this country now who have been through or family members who've been through that um and it wasn't a hoax so i know it's kind of a heavy way to begin but man if we can't talk about how the gospel and the text we're about to talk about deal with real life then what are we doing so that's kind of real life here but in the midst of it like everybody when there's heavy stuff happening there's also good stuff happening so it's all a mix of things i'm looking out of my window at a beautiful a cool day in Texas, which we well, haven't don't, had in a don't, while. Don't don't uh, pass this over. Tell us yeah. how does the gospel speak to a moment like that, and what you know what what runs through your mind in that very moment. Well, I it's think very real. You know, to be honest, it was um, feeling supported by people who were praying for us. You know, as soon as I got the news, I let you know and some other people know who were praying immediately for that situation, and because I really couldn't think of anything except are my kids okay and then after that there was the whole physiological response to the shock and fear and all that fight or flight response and just feeling completely worn out from it so i you know obviously i was praying for the situation and then giving thanks to god afterwards but mostly i just felt like kind of like my head buzzing or something i don't know it's it's weird it was like this feeling of noise in my head and so i didn't feel super like spiritual like i did pray but it was like it was like staticky kind of, and um, so what I really felt was the support of people around me, and I think you know, uh, just made me grateful for friends like you and other people mm. who stepped in and were there for us. You think I, you know, I think uh, one of the lenses that the gospel shines on this particular issue in our country is, um, you know, uh, in, in moments like this, everybody's talking about rights and things like that, and my right, my right, my right, my this, my that. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, in moments like this, it's important that they remember the gospel calls us to uh, relinquish rights sometimes, yeah. not in a sense for the um, opening of tyranny, but uh, the relinquishing of, um, of rights in order that we might get a fresh perspective on things and begin to think uh, a little more clearly. And I think what happens is, is that we wind up like grabbing onto things and, and hanging onto them all the more tightly, you know, uh, try and pull these rights from my cold dead hands. And, uh, and we wind up missing a, 
something more important and uh, I think something that would um, um, redeem a lot of these situations and uh, might speak to people who um, do own guns and um, and uh, responsibly and uh, get them out of the hands of um, of people who should never have them. Yeah. Well, so that's, yeah, that's very real stuff that uh, we just uh, uh, are living through here. Uh, at the same time, you know, had to go to work today and do all the stuff. It's very real. Church yeah. things and plan through the drainage system of a courtyard renovation. So that's... That's real ministry, people. Mm. That's mm. what's happening. What, cl- what class was that taught in seminary? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, our uh, readings today... Um, <laughs> moving right along. Um, our readings today are from uh, the book of Habakkuk, um, chapter 1, 1 through 4, and 2, 1 through 4. Then we have uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, we jump into 2 Timothy for a little bit, chapter 1, 1 through 14. And then we have Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. And so uh, we have the prophet Habakkuk here, and uh, what, would you, what do you want to say about that? I mean, you know, the Habakkuk is divided between, you know, uh, the prophet's cry to Yahweh and Yahweh's response. And uh, here we get two of the cries uh, um, uh, we, from Habakkuk and Yahweh, or one, of, one each. So, Yeah, so this is a very short book in the Old Testament. It is one who's origin and date and author is all sort of unclear. I mean, we know Habakkuk talks about this and he gets specifically commanded to write it down in in chapter two, um, which we have uh, in this reading for today, write this vision, make it plain on tablets. Um, But uh, we do know that this is, this is different from like a Jeremiah or a Isaiah where God tells the prophet, right, you know, go tell the people this that I tell you. Um, this is like, as you said, this conversation between the prophet and God. And it's, and you know, there's a couple things you say. One is, um, Habakkuk gives the Christian permission if you needed it, but a lot of people seem to need it to be honest in prayer. And it's okay to be angry at God and it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be real in your prayers. Uh, it, it begins almost like an insolent teenager. Um, I didn't ask to be born, uh, you're not my dad, you know, yeah. oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not listen. Like, it's right. rude. Right. Um, like, hello, God, can you hear me? Uh, that's kind of the tone. And, and he says, how long do I have to cry violence? Like, come help. And you just are deaf. So I think, you know, that level of honesty here in the scriptures is not one that we often see in our own lives as Christians. I don't know many praise and worship songs that are like, how long are you going to not answer my call, God, you deadbeat dad? Like, this is the tone. Uh and uh, he says the wicked surround the righteous and judgment comes forth perverted. And uh, so it, the, the verses that are skipped, because it skips a lot before it gets to chapter 2, it's just a very short passage. Um, but uh, he, Habakkuk just basically complains and, and he's very specific about all these complaints that he has, just the injustice he sees. I mean, a lot of it is very, very current to the day of, you know, rich people making the living off of poor people. And of course, there's a lot of idolatry going on in, in Israel and Judah at the time. But uh, we do get this thing where the Lord responds and says, look, I want you to, I want you to tell something to the people. And um, yeah, the, the big news here, which is where it connects to sort of our New Testament understanding of things, is that the righteous live the righteous live by their faith and saying you know basically you see what's in front of you which is kind of terrible 
uh, but there's there's things that you can't see, things that you know by faith that will really be the source of your life. Um, and you know, th- it will it will happen. It will it will come to pass. It's it says it seems to tarry. Wait, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. Surely come. It will not delay. So it's coming. You just don't yeah. know when. So we're in this. So it's a passage about honesty and prayer and waiting in the in between time and trusting that God will ultimately show up in some way, which He yeah. does in Christ, obviously. Well, and it's also um, it's also uh, a passage about kind of how our own self righteousness and our own uh, self justification projects can blind us to our own wickedness. And this was exactly the problem with the people of Israel. And so they are sitting there and uh, never mind that their hearts have been far from the Lord. Uh, they, have, they cannot comprehend why uh, this judgment is befalling them. Uh, never, the, never mind, you know, the fact that they are neglecting actually the poor. They're neglecting all of, uh, you know, the needy. And, uh, and this has been one of the uh, great cries of the prophets since the very beginning. If you go back to, uh, say, Isaiah 61, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And what has the Spirit of the Lord done? Come to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. You have Micah chapter 6 where it says, you know, um, uh, that what 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 does God want? Well, He wants us to. Uh, uh, what does God require? But you walk justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And uh, they have not done this. Uh, they think they have, and they have not. And so they don't understand why this judgment. And so it's almost like Habakkuk in the final stanza here in chapter two, uh, the beginning. He's like, you know, well, I'm just going to stand and wait. I'm going to wait for you, God. And God is like, hold up, here comes this vision. And I want you to make it so plain that a runner, someone running by, will be able to understand it. Yeah. And uh, and basically what this is, is that all of these things, these requirements that on the outside you think you've done, um, uh, that you think you're doing, you think you're loving the poor, but meanwhile they're neglected in the street, they can't make the sacrifices because the temple worship is so corrupt, all of these things, and, and you know, we do the same thing. You know what I mean? We think, oh, um, you know, um, I'm giving to this charity event. Never mind, I haven't talked to my kids in like three weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these little things. Um, our hearts, in many ways, are far from God. And He says, look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. And like oftentimes, our justification projects, whatever they are, they they make us proud and they blind us to what we really should be doing. And it's all summed up right here. Uh, uh, the righteous live by faith, or the just yeah. live by faith. And what is faith? It is to believe in God, and that's credited to them as righteous. You go back to Genesis. And then ultimately, we live by faith in the one who has um, come to preach good news to the poor, which is you and I, and to release the captives, and to bind up the brokenhearted, uh, and bring freedom to prisoners. We live in faith in the one who's truly done that for us, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Well, I think we can now turn to, uh, um, oh, by Timothy. the way, little tidbit on yeah, Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, is that the apocryphal book, no, Bell and the Dragon, <laughs> uh, says that oh. this is the book that Daniel is reading in the lion's den, so. Oh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Not, Definitely. Why, why would you doubt God, that, Aaron? So. I don't know. No. I don't know. <laughs> I know. Uh, all right. So. <laughs> Just kidding. Bell yeah, and the why, Dragon's amazing. It's like the it's first. It's a great story. It's the first mystery novel in uh, in the Bible, and uh, you know, probably the first mystery novel of all time. Who, so who doesn't how, have dragons? how how is uh, the ba- how is the dragon Bale eating all the food in the middle of the night? So 
It's a good story. And uh, Daniel gets to the bottom of it. Dun, dun, dun. So anyway, we're here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Yeah, I was just so showing finished... off right there because I don't really live by faith all the time either. I live by like, <laughs> yeah. you know, the accolades and praise of others. So rate us. And don't anyway. That's right. <laughs> Give us a rating. So uh, we've finished our reading, or not we've finished, have finished, but we've been getting snippets of 1 Timothy, this uh, these letters from Paul to the younger minister of the gospel, Timothy, and uh, now we're, we finished first Timothy. Now we're in the second letter, second Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy. Um, and, uh, for the next four weeks we'll be in second Timothy. So if you want to do a little preaching series, you can do that, uh, as we head through this, um, we're now into October and people are deep in the fall. You're going to, as you go through second Timothy over the next four, four weeks, you'll be having a congregation that's beginning to get increasingly anxious as, uh, the holidays approach and right. the uh, kind of newness of fall wears off and it begins to get darker and colder, depending on where you live, uh, even in Texas. And um, yeah, this is Tim- Paul writing to somebody who is in ministry, and which all Christians are, whether professional or not, uh, lay or ordained. And he's giving instructions and, and just, um, it's easy to hear this as law, just stuff to do. Um, but before we get to that part, he does remind Timothy, which is always the right place to start, of kind of who you are and who supports you. So talks about the relationship Paul has with Timothy, that I pray for you night and day. Like this is clearly a, a devoted mentor to Timothy, and Timothy obviously really looks up to Paul. And Paul writes, I remember your tears, longing to see you, that I may mm. feel the joy. So it means like the last time they say goodbye, it was so heartfelt that Timothy cried and uh, and Paul says, I know your family. Um, I knew your grandma Lois, your mother Eunice, mm. uh, who sounds very much like um, moms in the 1950s, uh, <laughs> these great names, and uh, um, Pearl, Beatrice, etc. And says this faith now lives in you. So you get a sense of, you know, the Christian message has now been around for a while so that it can be in whole families mm-hmm. and it's now a generational mm-hmm. thing, which... Um, by the way, is how faith continues to spread. Yeah. And I would and I would say, you know, in that first paragraph right there is a tremendous encouragement. Never underestimate what God is doing when you're taking your kids or, you know, putting on a weird VBS that like, you know, you're like, oh, God, did any of that stick? You yeah. know, it's like, uh, yes. And this is a perfect testimony of that, that God works through all sorts of things uh, to bring about the salvation of those whom he's called. And so, uh, you know, this is a powerful testimony about how God has worked through the faith of Timothy's um, uh, grandmother and mother to bring him to this point. Um, But I love how Paul then in that last paragraph, he says, you know, because there are moments where in life where like, you know, we hear that God, you know, I remember uh, this happens to me all the time, you know, you're at a, and it happens to everybody. You're at like some sort of party or something like that. And all of a sudden, somebody's like, well, what do you do? And you're like, uh, you know, I used to get like a little anxious about that. You know what I mean? I'm a life coach. And I never a nonprofit. Yeah, I never said that. I've always said like laid the cards right on the table. But, uh, you know, but there is, but even it's in the interior. And, and, you know, Paul is like, don't be ashamed about this. And he encourages them. And why? Now, you could read this as law, but like the alternative when you, be, you begin to see what's the alternative, well, it's nothing compared to how glorious this is. The testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join in the suffering of God, relying on the power of God. Now, what's the power of God? Well, the one who saved us. 
and has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not because like I'm attractive or amazing, but according to his purpose and his grace. And what's the purpose and grace? Well, it's to give the whole world Christ, um, you know, um, to in order to abolish death and bring about life and immortality to light through that gospel. And, you know, you and I and dear preacher, whoever's listening to this, have been appointed a herald of this great and amazing news. And so um, I think that's that's the thing is that so often we forget that the alternative to this is actually, um, well, it's, um, it's uh, rubbish, as uh, St. Paul would say. Yeah. Uh, the thing here that also is going on is that Timothy seems to have hit maybe a little bit of a rough patch. Now, there's something that they teach you to avoid in seminary. They teach you to avoid... Uh, dating fellow students just kidding they teach you to avoid <laughs> eisegesis yeah. which is um reading stuff into scripture that's not actually there you're supposed to do exegesis read out of the text what it already contains eisegesis is like when mm. you read mm. between the lines but really you just insert your own agenda into it and an example of eisegesis would be for example saying that when Paul says, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you, that that must mean that Timothy is unkindled, that he, that he, that he's kind of yeah. lagging a little bit. And, and um, so you want to be careful about making a full psychological diagnosis about what <laughs> Timothy's going through here. However, it does seem that there may be some challenges Timothy is facing because Paul does say, rekindle the gift of God that is in you. Remember your sincere faith that your mom and grandma had. Uh, God didn't give you a spirit of cowardice or fear. Don't be ashamed of me or the testimony of the gospel. Um, and know that I'm suffering too. And suffering is par for the course. So there's all these messages in here where it sort of sounds like Paul is saying to Timothy, you know, you have this sincere faith. You have this legacy in the gospel. Um you didn't just uh, kind of discover this, and maybe you've been in it in a while, and maybe now you're, the honeymoon is over, the thrill is gone, and you're feeling a little bit like you're dragging a bit. Um, you know, just like what the what the bartender said when the horse walked into a bar, why the long face? <laughs> <laughs> but that, so rekind Timothy <laughs> that joke rekindled something in me, Aaron. <laughs> That's right. So, but Timothy does seem to be going through maybe some kind of difficult time, some difficulty in ministry, maybe a difficulty personally, who knows. But Paul is encouraging him, and he does a couple things. One, remember this gift has been given to you through my laying on of hands, apart from what you've done. Also, fear does not come from God. Fear uh, is when you forget God. And uh, this is why Jesus is always saying, do not fear, don't be afraid. Um, but you've been given power, love, and self-discipline. Self-discipline, that's um, often seen as like, uh, if you're sinning, it's because you've messed up. Like, God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Or other translations have it as self-control. So if, if you're feeling like there's an area of your life where your willpower is not in control, that means you are not embracing first timothy second timothy one verse seven you god's given you a spirit of self-control you're just choosing not to use it or you haven't named it and claimed it or whatever and that's not what this is about um 
that is a ripping this verse out of context and applying it in a sense. And if you're going to make a big deal about the word self-discipline, self-control, you should look it up in Greek, which I did. And it is uh, this work, Sophronismos, which can mean self-control. It can mean self-discipline. It can mean prudence. It can mean being kind of having, being wise and having some discretion. Um, it comes from a word that means kind of being truly moderate, like being sensible, like, mm. you know, don't get crazy. Like, just sort of being chill uh, and wise. Um, that's what the word means. So, um, uh, God has given you power. God mm. has given you love. And God has given you the sort of wisdom to not freak out is kind of what this is saying. And um, so that's why Paul is kind of just calling him, come back to the gospel. Uh, yes, they're suffering, but uh, this is a holy calling. And... Um, Christ suffered, I suffered, and we know that he has um, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. So it's this word of encouragement, reminding Timothy what's actually true. It, to me, it sounds like somebody who's, you know, this is what happens to me a lot. I'm looking so closely at the stuff in front of me that has got me terrified, like every year. And, you know, for us preachers running churches, it's the stewardship um, con- once again. It's stewardship coming up in fall. If you're a layperson, know that your preacher's thinking about it now and already nervous about it. If you're the kind of church that does a fundraising campaign in the mm-hmm. fall, like we tend to do in the Episcopal Church, know that your uh, preacher's worried about are people going to come to events that we're trying to hold, and um, is anybody going to sign up to volunteer? And we're still struggling after the pandemic to get enough people to sign up, and all those sorts of things. And I have worried about all those things throughout my career ministry. Every year I've been a rector, I've worried about stewardship. Every capital campaign I've worried about. Every hiring decision, is this going to be the right one? And yet I'm still here, and the worrying accomplished nothing. And what I always found helpful on Sundays or other times when somebody reminded me of the love of God and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he says, uh, you know, he's never going to leave or forsake us. And so I think that's a little bit of what Paul is trying to do with Timothy is kind of help him zoom out a little bit and remind him you're getting sort of lost in the trees, but don't forget the forest. Yeah. There's a, and there's a Lord over all. And so hold on, to, hold on to that's true. Um, hold on to, to what you know, yeah, the good treasure. Good. Wow. That's good. Well, we, yeah, move, yeah. In, so, we move into Luke can, chapter. Now you can preach that Jake. Yeah. And we've moved on to Luke chapter 17 verses five through 10. And, uh, Actually, uh, this particular episode, I think we should shout out to uh, my colleague, the Reverend Molly Jane Layton, who is, um, this is her first Sunday uh, preaching and celebrating at both our services because she was just ordained a priest. So uh, she'll be tackling this one. And uh, and boy, the first Sunday you are a minister and you're leading and preaching, uh, that's the first thing you ask the Lord, increase our faith. And so, <laughs> but tell us a little right. bit about what this is about, uh, and being a mustard seed, and then maybe I'll talk about the second part. What do you think, Aaron? We'll break it up like that. Uh, this reminds me of that. Was it a, was, it was a ska band? Were they a Christian ska band? Mustard Plug? That's what I kind of think about. Mm. Um, I don't know. I only knew the Supertones and Five yeah, Iron Frenzy. The, and then Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were, anyways. They, sorry, were Christian? they weren't Christian. No, 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 they weren't. Yeah, come on. Um, um, <laughs> Christian ska, a movement that came and went, yeah. and... Uh, Christian ska, their best days are behind them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, ska in general. So Never, um, not ska I think the important thing to remember is that this pick passage up, up. No, begins in verse 5, <laughs> and it's not the apostles just saying randomly, like, Lord, right. for today's lesson, increase our faith. They're asking it for a very specific reason. They're asking because right before it, Jesus in Luke 17 uh, um 
verses three and four, have just told people to forgive people, and we are we hate forgiving. We mm. love receiving forgiveness, but we hate forgiving other people. Um, and we love it when people apologize to us, but we hate apologizing to others. Um, and the when Jesus says. If someone sins against you seven times and seven times says, I repent, you must forgive them. So that's why the disciples say, <laughs> increase our faith because yeah. that's super hard. And that's where Jesus then says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So it's, you know, well, there's a couple things. So there's there's that lesson. That's the thing that from people are familiar with. Then there's verses uh, 7 through 10, which are a little bit harsher, and people are like, what's that about? So this first thing, the mustard seed, I think there's grace there. Like, everything about Christianity is hard. Uh, people often talk about, I don't have enough faith, and my faith is so weak and small, and I say, that's all God has asked you to do. Like, he's not saying mm. you have to have this huge faith. Um, it is a denial of the truth of Scripture to tell someone they don't have enough faith, because because mm. if they have a mustard seed, which is a tiny, tiny amount, it's like 99% doubt, 1% faith. Jesus here says that that is enough. Um, and even even no faith is enough because Jesus appears to Paul and calls him when G, when Paul has zero faith. He appears to Matthew and says, come out of your tax collector's booth and follow me when Matthew has zero faith. Um, yeah. So this is the kind of and, thing that God does over and over. And this is the, this is the point of the parable down below, is that uh, when we think faith is something ours to conjure up as opposed to a gift... Uh, well, then we want to claim it as our own. And uh, this does not make us just at all. Uh, rather, this just leaves us in the category of slave. And this is the point, you know, is that, um, you know, we want we want credit for absolutely everything, even faith. And, uh, and, uh, and so, you know, you see these people and they're coming, they come in from the field and they're like, hey, man, you know, uh, look at me. And he's like, would you rather say to him, uh, no, prepare supper for me and put put on an apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. You know, the point is, is that uh, on our own, we are worthless slaves and we've done only what we've been told. You know what I mean? You are, to, you are a creature. And, and I think that's something we have to get back into perspective to really understand the power of this parable. Uh, we think we're little gods. I mean, we think mm. we're constantly, you know, a, we, we live in, in the church in America, whether it's evangelical or mainline or whatever. I mean, we live in the constant. Did God really say? Did God really say this? You know, did he? Did he really mean that? And, uh, you know, and uh, no, uh, you're, you are, get back in your role is what on um, one level this, you are a creature and you are to believe what God has said and believe what he's spoken. And, uh, and that though, to believe him then transfers you into a place from darkness into light. It transfers you from the place of slave to the place of son, because the gift of faith not only moves mountains and trees and all of these things, uh, the, the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, I mean, that has had the power to remove and uh, remove sin from you. The gift of faith has uh, had the power to uh, 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 fill the chasm and cross the gulf that stands between you and God. And he now comes to you with open arms and embraces you and invites you to sit at his table where he nourishes you with the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood. 
but you know, uh, me conjuring up faith and you know thinking I'm somehow equal and uh, worthy of this table on my own is uh, is a, is a complete misunderstanding. No, this is all gift. And now you're at the table because of the faith he's given you to believe him as Lord, and he receives you now as a son. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think that'll do it for this uh, millionth Sunday after Pentecost. Amen. Uh, no, actually, it's, uh, what is it? The, the It's proper 22. I just was going to, just had it slip out of my brain. Uh, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost, uh, the first Sunday in October, as... Uh, we head into stewardship season, deal with life, deal with reality, and deal with the fact that we are creatures. God is our great creator. And um, ultimately, though, he does come and serve us at the table, which is what he does every Sunday uh, where we are. So Until see you guys then. again next week. Until then, what, do you, what should they do, Jake? Keep on trucking. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. I just coined that phrase. That was good. I like it. Somebody's looking. Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.